0: Uh, this morning, if you would, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 17, and uh, as uh, and we want to look there at this is the ghost, the great high priestly prayer, I suppose, of Jesus. It's really kind of the Lord's prayer. Here, Jesus, he's in the garden, he's pouring out his heart to the Father. We so often we think of the we call the Lord's prayer, you know, our Father which art in heaven, and that was really when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, that's really kind of the family prayer, where we are taught to pray in that. But here is Jesus' prayer. If you want to say, what is the Lord's Prayer, this is probably it in John 17. So uh, let me read it, and, uh, and we'll get into it. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested uh, uh, thy name unto all men unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst set me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. And those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have uh, my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent me, and have declared, uh, I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love with which Thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray, dear Father. How we thank You today for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for this wonderful prayer, and Lord, that as we are allowed, it's been recorded for us, that we can kind of come into the garden and sit and listen. To this interchange between the Father and the Son. Lord, I pray that you would take something out of it for each and every one of us today, some word from heaven that we may need that would strengthen, would would bless, would encourage, whatever the word is, but would draw us to you in a deeper, richer way. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have again this, this incredible prayer. I suppose it's the, the greatest prayer ever prayed. Uh, obviously, any prayer that Jesus ever prayed was greater than any, any hu- mere human that they would ever pray. So we're safe to say that, that it's at least in the category. But in terms of anything that's recorded for us of Jesus, he may have said other things. But in terms of what's recorded for us, I, would, I think it's safe to say this is the greatest prayer man has ever heard uh, and ever contemplated. It seems like, in fact, there's actually been a number of books written where they almost take just verse by verse. And each verse can become a sermon all by itself. For in here, Jesus is turning and he's saying, Father, mine hour has come. And here is in it, you know, we're looking at, at this time of which Jesus speaks of. Now, what he's referring to there when he said mine hour is there had been earlier times in Jesus's life where people sought to take his life, stone him or whatever. But it would refer to as Jesus was lifted out of there and nothing happened. But it would say there essentially nothing happened because his hour was not yet. And here it refers to a time in Jesus' life where it was his hour, his work, his, you know, what, what he really came here for. And now Jesus is turning and he says, Father, my hour has come, mine. In other words, as far as Jesus was concerned, everything else had always been about the Father, always been about the Father so much. So he's told him there in this prayer. He says, Father, I have glorified thee on earth. He says, of the works that thou hast given me to do, I've done them all. The words that thou hast given me to say, I have said them all. They now know there very clearly. I've told them over and over again. They know that everything I've said and done, everything that I am has come from you. And that the, the, the messages have come from you, the works have come from you, the life, the power. I am merely the vessel through which it flowed. There it tells us, we're told in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus was the exact image of the invisible God. There, when anybody could look at Jesus for 33 and a half years, you're looking at the absolute perfect image of God. And of course, as far as the Bible is concerned, when it refers to somebody as being in the image of God, it's a reflected image. Much like if you were to look in a mirror, uh, it requires you <laughs> to reflect you. And if you don't believe me, just tomorrow morning, just for the fun of it, try this. Get when you get up and you just walk into the bathroom like you regularly do, and uh, when you after you maybe take a moment and stare and wonder, love and praise for whatever you observe. But then when you after that, just standing there for a moment without a word, just very quickly jump out of the bathroom, and then peek back around the corner and see if you're in the mirror still. If you are, you need a doctor. But the uh, because you all the mirror can do is reflect. What it, you know, it requires you. As soon as you're gone, it can't reflect you any longer. That's the way God created man. In Genesis 1, God said, let us create man in our image. And there God, as he reached out into the dust of the earth, he fashioned and formed a man. He breathed his life, his presence into a man. And thus, as far as the Bible is concerned, it takes God to be a man. It takes the presence of God. As God shared his life with Adam, walked together in the cool of the garden in the day there, and, and, but it, Adam shared God's love, his power, his wisdom, his very character, his love, his nature just filled and you know, flooded within him. And, of course, God told Adam in the garden, he says, Now, uh, he, the, day, the day in which thou sinnest, though, you will die. Literally in the Hebrew, dying, thou shalt surely die. You'll die the moment if you decide that you don't want me in your life. You decide, you know, and God put a a tree, a knowledge of good and evil, in the middle of the garden. He says, of the trees thou seest, thou madest freely. Here's everything I've got. But if you eat of this, you will die. Now, you may say, why would God do that? Well, you know, and well, one of the things, the Bible says God is love. And one of the things that love requires to manifest itself is it requires freedom. You have to have a choice. As soon as you don't have a choice, you don't have love. And, uh, you know, you you need, you know, uh, you need a choice in it. And God basically with Adam, he says, here I am. Here's my love, my life, my power, my presence. I'll share it with you. But if you ever decide, you know, that you don't want it, there's the door out. There's the exit. Now, I do want to tell you when you go out that door, when you do, because I'm not out there, you will die. My life will not go with you. You'll go on your own. So literally, when Adam sinned, dying, literally, he went on to death. He bodily remained alive for a while, started perishing. He, he, Soullessly, your mind, emotions, and will continued on, but God removed his spirit from man, and he spiritually died that moment. And then God gave him a period of time to repent there where he could turn around and realize, I don't like it out here. I want, can I ever come back? And he offered this wonderful way of atonement, blood sacrifice, ultimately pointing to the Lamb of God that would come. That would give him forgiveness and secure him back into that relationship with God if he longed for it. But it requires God to be in his image. But it requires, but it's also in his love that is there. He, he won't force anybody into heaven. He won't force anybody there. He won't force anybody into a relationship. Because love can't force it. You know, I didn't get my wife by beating her over the head, dragging her home by her hair and saying, you will love me. I keep her that way, but I didn't get her that way. But the, no, I... But the thing is, it requires that. So here when man sinned, though, you know, there was a, uh, now Jesus, essentially, though, when he came into the world, he spent 33 years just revealing once again what man forfeited in sin. Corinthians actually refers to Jesus as the second Adam, the second man. Born of a virgin, thus born of the Spirit, we're told about Jesus. He could now reveal once again what the first Adam lost. And now we could look, do we like the first Adam or do we like the second? Do we look at Christ and realize, I like his life. I like who he is, his love, his power, his wisdom. And we realize what flowed in and through him was just simply sharing the life of God. As God just, you know, filled him and led and guided and controlled him and empowered him all the way through. And so thus Jesus could look there and he says, Father... I have glorified thee on earth. The last 33 years, I've had the delight of letting you live in and through me and revealing to the world what was lost, the joy, the peace, the fullness, the power, the wisdom, the knowledge, and and it's all been you. I have glorified thee on earth. Every word you wanted to say, I've said it. Every deed you wanted to do, I've done it. And now they know it's come from you. I've told them over and over, this isn't me. This is him. And he says, but now, Father, my hour. I have glorified thee. You've had yours. Now, Father, mine hour has come. Glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the world began. And what was that glory? Simply a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We revealed your love, your words, your power, your presence. Now I want them to show, I want them to know my love. My opportunity to express to them, I am the one who would bear their sins upon the cross and die for them. My hour. My opportunity to reveal it to you. But here, Jesus, he wonderfully, though, it was always the Father so far. It was something only, But uh, you know, hours before he's praying this prayer in John 17, he's up in the upper room with the disciples. And uh, and he's preparing them for the cross, of which he is now only hours away from going to. But when he's up there in the upper room, you may recall, he told them, he says, by the way, fellows, I want to prepare you for tomorrow. It's going to be a little bit of a shock to you. He says, so much so, you're going to be so confused by this thing. He says, one of you will deny me another one will betray me. As a matter of fact, all of you like sheep, you'll scatter each under your own. You'll leave me alone. I won't be alone. My father will be with me. And he says, but I'm saying these things beforehand so that when they come to pass, you'll realize it was a mistake. It was all part of the plan. And of course, when they're hearing this, all they seem to be hearing is that he's going to die and that they're going to be, where are we going? What are we going to do? We're losing our leader. And he could no doubt just read their faces looking right into them. And so he turns to them, he says, now listen, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe now also in me, for in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, whether, and he says, and when I go, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas speaks up, and he says, Lord, we don't. We haven't figured this out. Yeah, we, 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 don't, we, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Oh, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'll handle the travel arrangements. I'll, I know the place. I know it all that. Trust me. Believe me. And, uh, and he says, if you had known me, you'd know that my father also, and you, you'd know that I came from him, and you've seen him. You've been seeing him. And then Philip speaks up and he says, you know, to him, he says, that's it, Jesus. That's it. For the last three and a half years, there's been the Father here, the Father there, all about the Father. Would you just show us the Father? That'll be sufficient. Oh, Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet, ah, has not known me. He was seeing seen me has seen the Father. It's been the Father every moment of every day. Wherever the Father wanted to go, I went. Whatever he wanted to say, I've said it. Whatever he's given me to do, it's always been him. That's the life of the... That's the way God created a man, sharing the life of God. That's what I've been revealing to you. And here, though, as, as Jesus goes on and he, in, in this prayer, he says, Father, mine hour now, we've done your hour. I've revealed everything you wanted to say, everything you wanted to do, everywhere you wanted to go, every action. It's just been wonderful. But now my hour has come. And here he goes on and he says, And by the way, Father, I'm praying for them. And not just them, he says, but all those that will believe on me because of their word. Which means you and me as well. All of us, everyone, not just for the 12 here or the 70 or the group around now. But this prayer is for everyone that will ever believe on me because of their life and their testimony. It's equal throughout. And then he goes on, he says, and father, he says, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. And, the one, and and uh, I actually like the way that reads in, I think, the Living Bible, because uh, it makes more sense, in a sense, to us. But he, he says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. And what Jesus is saying there is, he says, Father, I want you to know, like it reads in another translation, I promise to meet their need for growth and truth and holiness. He says, Father, even their sanctification, don't worry about it. That's my job. I am setting myself apart. And I'm obligating myself to meet all of their needs. I will take care of them. I will intercede for them. I will be their advocate. I will be their, uh, their power. I'll be their life. I will sanctify them. That's my job. Don't look at them. Look to me. That's my work. And here he is, he's is now this incredible work of the intercessor and how he's going to intercede, and how he's going to take care of us, how he's going to change us, present us faultless one day before him. He goes on in verse 17 and to jump down, pardon me, in verse 23 of chapter 17. He says, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. He says, Father, that they're going to be one. Just like you are in me and I'm in you, they're going to be in us. This incredible depth. This incredible life and power and joy and richness that we have always known amongst ourselves they are going to share in it. They're going to have it. And here he looks and he says, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And then he makes this startling statement. And he says, for thou lovest them as thou lovest me. What a thought. I think if anybody else even interjected a thought like that, this side of heaven, that is any mere human, said, oh, God loves me like he loves his own son. It would almost be equated with heresy Is how in the world could you say a thing like that? You know, in the sense of saying that God loves you like he loves his son. I don't think so. But when you realize this came from the lips of Jesus himself, he never lied. He never exaggerated. He says, Father, you love them. You see, one of the things that's so different about the love of God than our love is our love is is quite human. It's quite frail. It's always coming and going and strong and weak. and there's tremendous variation in it. You don't have to be long on this planet to realize how we are. You know, I love you today, maybe. <laughs> Even more than yesterday, maybe less tomorrow, you know, or something. Or, I, you know, I, I'm learning to love you. I've got to, you know, I, I, did, I, I, I don't know why I have to love you. I mean, we've got all of these different aspects of human love. You know, when we love it, it's because the source of it is quite frail and, and, and makes up and tries to cultivate and maintain something of which it is not, doesn't have the power to do. We're fallen. But God's love isn't that way. When God loves, he loves. There's no, there's no variation in it. There's no shadow of turning in it. When, if, if God loves, it isn't like I love, he has no struggle. I love you a lot, or I love you. I'm going to learn to love you. Or I'm trying to love you, or give me a break. Help me out on this. He never does that with us. God loves us. He just simply, I just love you. And, and here when Jesus said, for thou lovest them as thou lovest me, there isn't a gauge to it. There isn't something there where he measures it out. When God, Because God is love. What he does is he loves. And when it comes, it just, it's, there's no variation to it. And so Jesus could very say, for thou lovest them as thou lovest me. They don't get it yet. Oh, they will. But they don't now. And then the, the prayer even rises from there. Uh, to, I suppose, the most magnificent statement and suggestion and thought to me in all of Scripture, I think. It's a dangerous thing, I suppose, to pick one verse and say, but it rises to a level of magnificence, I think is unparalleled in Scripture in verse 24. When Jesus turns and in his prayer and he says, Father, I will, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. First of all, you got to realize this prayer, and particularly this statement, is unlike any other prayer ever prayed. No prayer like it. No saint. No one previously. You won't find anything like this anywhere in the Bible. Abraham, who was a friend of God, but when he prayed, he said, said, behold, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. He says, I'm coming and trying to talk to you, God. Jacob, who wrestled with God and prevailed, and yet his boldest prayer was, you know, he he said, I won't let you go lest thou bless me. God, please, I need your blessing. I need your love. I need to please. Begging God. Or like Job, you know, who finally, after God had revealed himself, you know, incredibly to him. Job, now after even sensing his presence, he said, I've heard of God with a hearing in my ear." But now I have seen him with the scene of mine eye. And he says, and I, wherefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. The closer he got to God, the more humble anybody else is. David, when he prayed and inquired of the Lord, he says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation, hearken unto my voice, my King and my God. Very humble, very, you know, and just simply laying and opening up. Daniel, greatly beloved of God, tremendously in his life in prayer with God. But he said, oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hearken and do. Paul, in his great epistle in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, and for this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came in very humble, very simple before God. But when Jesus prays, here in this prayer, Jesus turns and he says, Father, I will. I will. I will. And when you look at this, I mean, this is a boldness beyond any other other saint ever dreamed of praying. And of course, always, Jesus always was way beyond any other saint, any other before, because he, of course, is God's fellow. He's his other person. Zechariah 13, 7 says, a Waco sword against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. God looked there, and he looks at his son, and he's telling the sword one day to awake, come there, the sword that he had put at the east end of the garden, the garden every way, keep every way that man could not come back into the garden to eat of the tree of life, lest, lest he live forever in his fallen state. He now, when Jesus comes, he says, awake, O sword, and smite the shepherd, the man that is my fellow, my other self. There, and you see here uh, when... And God looks at the Son, and the Son looks at the Father. They're their they're other self. They're one and the same. They're the same being, in a sense, those, those separate in, in persons. But they share so much about themselves. As we know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, where the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And by Him were all things made, and without Him were not all things made that were made. And as John goes on to say, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But here, Jesus, he's the one that literally is the member of the Godhead in Genesis 1, when it says God created the heavens and the earth. That is Elohim uh, in the Hebrew. There's El, God in the singular. There's Ella God in the plural. Elohim, God in the plural. In the beginning, Elohim said, let us you know, uh, you know, create. But the book of John tells us the member of the the triune Godhead that actually did the work, that did the creating, was the second member, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. And by Him were all things made that were made. And here we have Jesus there that uh, though on one hand, He has all the rights and the privileges of God. And there in the form of God, Paul tells us there, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. At no time would Jesus, in declaring his deity, ever do anything out or wrong. It it wasn't stealing anything, robbing anything from God. Because he had the right, he was God. Of course, the reason for which he was crucified was blasphemy. He was accused, you've equated yourself with God. Well, anybody else, it is blasphemous unless you are. And here Jesus, though being God, he had all the rights and the privileges of God, but even this prayer of Jesus when he says, Father, I will, it's also unlike any prayer he had ever prayed. He had never thought, you know, prayed anything like this. He had always said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He had always said, my will is to do the will of him that set me. My meat is to do the will of the Father. When he came here in a humble state, when he came here to live as a man and to reveal what humanity is and letting God live in and through him, that's you don't need to be anything other than just being somebody born and filled and led by the Spirit and let God live. You don't need to do anything on your own. Even Jesus himself when the Pharisees came to him. Who are you? How do you do all this? John 530, Jesus turns them one time and he says one incredible statement. I can, of my own self, do nothing. Imagine that. The second person, the Triune God, had so humbled Himself and divested Himself of all the rights and the privileges of His deity, so that He could fully be man. I can, of my own self, do nothing. But as I hear, I respond, and my response is always right, because I'm not like you. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. It's, it always had been the will of the Father. John six thirty eight I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Hebrews ten five wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And burn offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. But then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is written within my heart. You look there at Jesus and you realize here is somebody there that his entire life had been the Father living his life through him. Never his will. But now, now until now, now in the garden, now he turns in for the first time and he says, I will. I will. This is what I'm in this for. It's always been about your will and I've loved doing it. No contest between the two. It's been a thrill sharing your life. Revealing to them What they all forfeited in sin and what they all can once again know. And that I whetted their appetite. They looked at my life. Incredible life. We want to give it to them. But there he turns there and he says, Father, I will. What is he going to will? What is it he wants? Now you've been in this dust bowl of a planet for 33 and a half years. You've asked absolutely nothing. Now you've come down to hours before your death. Now what do you want? Your one request. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. What a thing. Here he looks there and as he prays there. You know, We, so I wonder how many of us come in here today and wonder if God loves us. We come in here today and we're uh, maybe unloved and we feel we're sinners or ungodly and we're without strength and we're impure and we slip and fall and make so much. I think God must be tired of us at times because, again, We get tired of people. We're frail. We can take so much and we need to back off. We come and we go. There's so many variables to our ability, capacity, love. We just assume God's just a bigger one of us. Not realizing he's from another realm entirely. And here it's something of his love and how great it is. I don't think many people realize that what you really are, what you are, is you're this incredible gift that the Father gives to the Son and the Son gives to the Father. And the greatest gift that they give to one another in all of time and eternity. And you stop to realize at one point there was nothing and God said he created. God just spoke and God created the existence. He created the worlds. He flung the stars into the far corners of the night. Galaxies, you know, by the billions of them. Light years that go on and on. The unsearchable riches, the Bible says. They will never dream of the immensity of what it is that God has created. As it goes on, the magnificence of it. And then the Bible says that in the midst of all this exploding capacity to create, he's got this little speck of a piece of dust called the earth. And on that, he's invested all of himself. In there, he created man in his image. And there when man fell, even before he fell, before the foundation of the world, before he said, let there be light. A lamb had already been slain for the foundation, before the foundation of the world for the ones that would fail. Because it was the greatest opportunity to reveal how great the love was. It's one thing to love, but one of the things that love also wants is it wants a way to reveal itself. To show its its, its sacrifice, to show how deep, how rich, how wonderful it is. And to realize there that God looks at us. And here, you know, on one hand, he, oh, he created the world, but that's nothing. To have the world, God simply said, let there be light. One of the kind of little perks and benefits of God, being God, if you want something, you just speak it into existence. (laughs) I want something. Maybe a galaxy of diamonds, one over here of pearls, one over here of rubies, whatever it is. Everything in the world, you just speak it. He's got it. It's there. But at the very nature, at the very heart of who God is, the Bible says God is love. And love requires an object that has the free choice to give it or not. And God's greatest attribute of his being is this incredible capacity of a love unknown to man. But one of which he is waiting to share and to give and to bring man fully into to become the complete beneficiary of it. And God wants there. It's more precious to him than anything. The Bible tells us one day God spoke it all into existence. Hebrews tells us one day he'll fold it up as a vesture. Can you imagine this incredible act of creation? One day God says, thank you very much. You're just a platform. You're just something I just spoke into existence because there's one thing God will have at the end that he didn't have at the beginning. One thing. You and me. It's all he's in it for. No other projects. No other, uh, no, no other issue. That, it, that the recreation of man is more fabulous to him than the creation of all else. The creation of all else simply spoke. The recreation required the greatest act of his very love, of his being, the deepest of his attributes. Greater love hath no man than this, and he lay down his life for his that there are the opportunity there to reveal uh, what, what we mean to him. Exodus 19, 5. Now, therefore, goes on, you know, if you will obey and hear my voice indeed and keep my covenant, you shall be a peculiar people unto me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. Above everything else, all the earth, that's nothing to me. It's you. Malachi 3, 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day that I make up my jewels. You know, so often you look there at some of you... Ladies, maybe you look there and you just maybe your jewel, maybe you may have jewel box and you can go in that jewelry box and there may be just common jewels to others, but they're not to you. This was my grandmother's. This is my great great. This is my mother's. This is from my aunt Matilda, you know, something. And she gave this to me when I was a little girl and she promised this to me. And this is all something that you've got your jewels. You try to get one from your grandma, one from here, and one from there, and then hopefully you've been able to really dig something out of your husband that you want to put in the box too. But uh, you have jewels, I want jewels. You know, my sister-in-law calls them baubles. I don't know what that means. But anyway, you know, more baubles. I like bubbles, you know. But, the, but here God looks there and he says, I have my jewels. My jewels are my redeemed. And the wonderful thing is, like you know, for God so loved the world. God's the love of the world. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He looks there and he says, I'll go through it all. I'll go through every bit of it. I'll despise the shame. I'll be ridiculed. I'll be beaten. I'll be spat upon. I'll endure the cross. At the end of it, I get my redeemed. That's what I want out of it. You know, the incredible thing here, and I think Jesus said this from a perspective that had to be quite wonderful. Here he'd come down here to the earth. He took on human flesh, and he walked among us. And here he comes along, and he meets Peter. And all of his bravado, all of his bursting on the scene, all of his mouth, and I'll do this, all this. But yet he loved him. Look at Peter after Peter. I love Peter. He could look over there at John, wants to call fire from heaven. That's what he wants to do. And, uh, and James and John, brothers, and he, he the, only, the only disciples he gave a nickname to. And went uh, time to hear, you know, he, he, they, they, they go to a city and they're rejected. And on the way out, uh, John turns, and he says, Lord, shall we call fire from heaven to consume them? Nobody's going to treat us like that. That city didn't want us in there. Should call fire from heaven, consume them. That'll open up the doors for a lot more cities. They'll probably welcome us a little bit more, you know, or something. (laughs) Jesus kind of turns to him, and he he gives him a nickname. (laughs) John, you guys, you're the sons of thunder. There's no light in you, but the rumbling is endless, you know, in a sense. But he says, you know, but I, I love that, John. And Lord, Father, I love that, Thomas. One day, he'll be without a doubt. Mary and her worship, Martha and her serving he could go right down the list. That's Zacchaeus, fella. <laughs> I was walking down that street. One day, here's such a little fella, and nobody liked him. He couldn't even get into the scene to see me, but he wanted to, and he climbs up into a tree. I see him sitting Hey, you, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch today. We had lunch. Oh, Father, oh, the guy's a thief. He's ripped all sorts of people off, but we'll fix that. <laughs> we'll fix it. You see, Father, I love him. They've got under my skin. I can't come home without them now. I can't. It's got to be this way. I will. I'll have them, all of them. Anyone that there, that there would be. They, 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 they've taken me over as much as we love them from up there. But now, to actually walk among them, to feel what they feel, to experience what they experience, I've experienced it all. i felt it all. And here, Jesus, to realize this is how he looks at you. This is how he pleads and cares. For every one of us, he could take your name today. And put it right out there. And then he says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me. I want them. I'm coming home with them. Every one of them, they're coming. And then he says to them, one of the most incredible statements, he says, for thou lovest me. Before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know if you ever negotiate, maybe you women, I don't know. you. Know, I, you know, I mean, so often you, you may come to your husband and say, honey, we need this. Johnny needs this. He needs this outfit, or he's got this for school, or we need to do this. Well, does he need it now, really? You know, yeah, we really should do that, or some of you, we need to do this. We need, and it's all kind of up for discussion. You kind of do that, and we, we want this, we need this, and you kind of go through it. But when a wife would turn to her husband and say, honey, I want something, for you love me. I mean, now it takes all the stuff off the table. You're not talking about it any longer. You're now talking about your love. It's dirty is what it really is. It's kind of, good. you know, I want this for thou lovest me. In other words, it's not, nothing else is at the topic. Now it's just simply there. I mean, you know, we're, we're now, I'm putting my love on the line. I'm putting, this, is a, this isn't about that. It's about you and me. I want that. And if you love me, you will give it to me. I mean, maybe you women, just realize, wow, I've never tried that one yet. I'm going to go, you know, I don't. But, I mean, you can't get a greater authority for something. There, isn't, there is no deeper way to imagine they're putting something. It says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am to behold my glory, for you love me before the foundation of the world. It's all I'm in it for. It's all I've asked. That's all I've come down here for. You've, come, you've sent me down and no, no question about it. You so love the world you're giving me. And how hard that is for the father to give his son. Incredible. What father would, 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 I mean, to give your son. It's got to be an unbelievable love. You would immediately, what father wouldn't say, no, take me, not my son. Unless they're a teenager. But, the, uh, but otherwise, you kind of, you would look there and say, no. You know, I mean, I, I but, but for somebody there to love so much, they give their son. Father, you're invested in this as much as I am. But I want you to know I'm invested in this as much as you are too. For you love me. And this is what I've I've got to have. And then he turns to me and he says that they may be with me where I am. Behold my glory. I want them to share it. I want them to to enter in and, and to have it all around them. And he says, it's a full sharing, it's a full thing, and Father, I want you, I want them. And he says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not discussing with you that I'm going to have them because they're good or because they're holy or because they're sincere or because they promise to be better or because they're going to try harder. He says, no, I will that they're with me because I want them, because you love me. The issue isn't them. God is today looking and looking at you in this business. He's looking at his son, and the son looks at the father, and both of them are saying, we both want them. We don't want to go on to an eternity without them. That's how we care. And the wonderful way there that, that he says, and then though that they'd behold my glory, that they'd enter into it, they'd share in it. And, you know, as far as the is truth is, the word glory is concerned. It's, there, there's two types of glory. One is a human glory. And that's a bequeathed glory. Then there's, there's, there's eternal glory, which is intrinsic. In other words, here in this life, what we know of glory, and when we think of glory, we think of famous or rich or athletes or musicians. Somebody goes out, and boy, the whole world knows their name, or they're a great you know, athlete, they're a great musician, or they get some great talent, or they've made billions of dollars. And there's that human glory that goes with human achievement as perceived by the rest of the world, and that they give you glory. But it may not be, but it's a bequeathed glory. It's a granted glory. You can take a man, you can put a crown on his head, a robe on his back, a scepter in his hand, a throne to sit on and a kingdom to rule, and you give him a certain amount of glory. But it's bequeathed because you can take that man, take the crown away, take the throne away, take the kingdom away, put him on the street, and two weeks later, he's as common as any other man. It's a bequeath. It's a granted glory. We can take an athlete, and you can put him in the Hall of Fame, and he can be incredible and achieve things that nobody else ever has, and yet at the same time, he can do some terrible act, and all of a sudden, you see him there walking into a, a courtroom in chains, and his glory's gone. It's just it's, 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 it's a momentary, weak thing, pathetic, and it's only arbitrary, and it's not genuine. But then there's glory that's intrin- intrinsic. That is, it's through and through. You can't take it away. You can't de-glorify God. He is God, and he is glory. It just is him through and through, just like when, when, with gold. If something is solid gold, it's not gold-plated. If it's intrinsically gold, it's covered a core. And God's glory is intrinsic. It's unending. It has no, no fault in it. It's pure. It's high. And it is something there that God looks, and he says that they would know this glory. And I bring them into it. Coming home with them, Father, one by one. I've told them in my Father's house there are many abiding places, many mansions. If we're not so, I would have never told them that. We know it's there. I know it's there. We know what I'm here doing. And I told them I'm going to come back and get each one of them one at a time. And I'm going to take them home. And I'm going to give it to them. And they will enter into real glory. Not a bequeathed, but if, but they will, they will be as they will, they will, one day they will awake in our likeness. I'll conform them to my image. You know, I don't know about you, I, I'm one of these, I just, just to go to heaven. <laughs> I'd be happy, just get me to heaven. I remember one time as a little kid, my mom said something I'll never forget because as a kid you hear parents, they say weird things. Old people talk that way, you know. Well, anyway, I heard my mom, she's talking to someone, to my dad, and she said, boy, I sure would have liked to have been a fly on the wall for that. And I thought, my mother wants to be a fly on a wall. I didn't get this statement and how it all meant there. I said, what? Was she serious? You know, I mean, how could, What is that's the craziest statement. But, of course, it's just simply saying, I'd just like to sit there and observe what's going on. Well, I tell you, I would be happy just to be a fly in the wall in heaven, just to go there. But it'll never be that way. Jesus will never have it. The Bible tells us about Jesus that we have access into his presence. That Christ will give us this access. The word access in the in the Bible, it's the word prosagogue. It's where we get the word protocol. When the president has a state dinner or something, he has a chief of protocol who stands there next to him. And as people come in, they're all into the word protocol, it means introduces royalty. Each one, their their title. You know, Mr. President, here's the premier of so-and-so, here is the prime minister, here's King so-and-so of his realm. Jesus' work, as far as he's concerned, I haven't done you much of a favor just to give you a spot on the wall. I have not seen, ears not heard, neither has entered in the heart of man what I've prepared for you. There's just a little revelation, the Bible says, now and then of his spirit. But to realize God looks. Jesus says, Father, I want them to behold, enter in experience all of our glory. They'll wake up in our likeness. They'll wake up in the family. Not just simply there as a, as, as a common servant or a slave or somebody there all led him into heaven. Sometimes we think, for God so loved the world he gave his son that whosoever believes, well, I believed, therefore he's got to let me in because I'd be a liar. So therefore you're stuck with me, God. God isn't stuck with you. Every one of us he looks at with this incredible love where he says, one day, I have not seen nearer than her. You will wake up in my likeness. The Spirit himself, Paul says, bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God and of children and heirs, joint heirs with Christ, co-heirs, everything that when he looks there, he will say, Father, how do you like the work? How do you like Look at this. And it won't be a fly on the wall. It'll be one day we will wake up and we'll look and realize the magnificence of eternity, of waking up in his likeness. It ought to be that if we understand that the reality of heaven and being there. I mean, it's soon. You know, in the early church, all they could think about was heaven. They lived in a terrible world. They got persecuted in many trials. They were martyred. It was a miserable world. If you became a Christian, you became known, you suffered, period. Our world today is a lot more friendly to, to, to enjoy yourself in, but not so then. They wanted to go to heaven. They offered to be martyrs. They wanted to be slain. Whatever it is, they had such a realization of how magnificent heaven is. I think sometimes we need a whole new idea of heaven what it really is and to look at the truth of it but instead we so often we hold on to this so much we're kind of like maybe you've heard that there's this 95 year old couple been married for 75 years and they were health fanatics i mean got all the exercise ate all the right food perfect diet you know and all the herbs and spices or whatever and uh wheat germ and whatever else that they all had boy they and they were quite healthy but one day, 95 years old, they're driving off the road, lose a little control, hit an embankment, and immediately there they are, they're in heaven. And there, Peter, all of a sudden, he looks at them and he says, wow, there you are. Been there, been been waiting for you for a long time. And uh, and he says, but here, first of all, those bodies will do. Here, and boom, he gives them brand new bodies, incredible bodies. They're, they're looking at this. Are these ours? <laughs> yeah, they're yours. Yes, yeah, and, and you know, and the the wife looks over at the husband and, and looks at then she looks at Peter and she says, well, we can keep them. Yes. Well, how much are they? And he says, what are, how much? They're free. It's free. It's, it's heaven. Wow. Thanks. And by, over here, you see that mansion? Yeah. That's yours. Ours? Yeah. Just go. It's all yours. To have it? Yes. Did have it. Well, how, how, how much is that? No, it's free. It's heaven. Hello. It's heaven. It's free. Take it. Okay. And then over here, you see the country club? You see that? You know, there, there's a club. Golf, tennis, anything else. And the food, all the dining, anything in there. You know, they just go down there and just enjoy it. Country club? <laughs> yes. Anytime. Well, what's the membership cost? <laughs> this is heaven. It is free. It's free. Just enjoy it. And then the mall over there. Anything you need. Whatever you need. You'll love it. Beyond your dreams, just go and you just go shopping. Is that free too? Yes, just go enjoy. Travel agents going to go to the galaxies, just go, go go. Free, free, yes. And all of a sudden, she sits there. She goes. She whaps her, child, her husband. She said, "We'd have been here thirty years ago if it wasn't for you and your stupid wheat germ." You know. <laughs> I think we're going to feel that way. In one sense, when we awaken, we realize, I held on to this life with such a grip. Not realizing the love, the identity, the glory it was mine. Oh, how he loves you.